So Money episode 1158, Trudy LeBron, diversity, equity, and inclusion coach. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I think it's really important to say at this point that the purpose of anti-racism work and diversity, equity, and inclusion work isn't about like being better white people. It's not about like, or being a better white person. It's not about just knowing what not to say, right? It's not about like avoiding the mistakes. It's about creating more equity in the world, creating a situation where people's life outcomes are no longer connected to their race and their zip code. Race and zip code, how these two factors impact your ability to succeed in life and money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We are in conversation with Trudy LeBron, who is a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach who teaches individuals and institutions how to build successful anti-racist businesses. In the past seven years, she's grown her company, Script Flip, into a machine for helping others maximize their social impact. She's the host of the Business Remixed podcast. Trudy and I take a top-down approach to how to make a social impact in your business and in your day-to-day life. So if you're an entrepreneur or a business leader listening, Trudy has advice for how to implement anti-racism in your leadership. If you are an individual, if you are like me, looking for ways to create more of a social impact through how you spend and how you save and how you invest, even how you mentor people. Trudy has an abundance of advice. Here's Trudy LeBron. Trudy LeBron, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. It is a timely occasion having you on the So Money podcast. It's Black History Month and so much of your work I'm delighted to discover is helping people lead more of an anti-racist practice, both in their business and in their day-to-day life. Tell me a little bit about 2021 and going back a year, going back maybe I would say eight months to last summer to today. How far have we come as a nation? Because I feel as though what you're teaching is meeting the times. I think there's so much interest in people first recognizing their their racist thoughts embedded in them since childhood, but then realizing it's not about just saying I'm not racist, but saying I'm anti-racist. This is sort of a revelation that I think, at least from my perspective, only came about in the last year and maybe has been why you find yourself charting this path. Do you think we've come a long way? Like, are you happy? Are you pleased with the progress? I'm happy that so many people are like waking up to to the conversations, to the need, to the problems. I think that over the last, you know, like you said, eight months, um, there has been a big growth in that awakening. But I think we still have a tremendous way to go in terms of the actual changes, like the implementation of the things that need to happen to create equity, to create more inclusivity, and to really become, you know, a community of people who... Uh, 
who who really can live a life that isn't dependent, you know, where their life outcomes aren't connected to their identities. I've actually been doing this work since 2008. So this work isn't new. It's just new within, um, it's definitely new to the coaching and the business entrepreneurship world. Um, but I've been doing these, this kind of education and awareness in, in schools, working on educational inequity in communities, looking at, um, the youth development, looking at housing, looking at food access. So this is a long time coming. So I am happy that we're here and that so many people are kind of paying attention to what some of the issues are. And I'll tell you, my listeners, they're paying attention and often have been reaching out to me to say, how how can we practice more anti-racism in our financial decisions, in our consumer choices? And certainly we've heard some of the low-hanging fruit strategies, which is like, well, you know, invest in the Black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've read a statistic that female Black entrepreneurs are the fastest growing category of entrepreneurs. Um, So this idea that like you can't find a product run by a black owned individual is sort of not the case. Right. It's like, well, just look hard, look beyond Amazon. Yes. Uh, so looking forward to learning from you in this episode, let's maybe take a top down approach because a lot of your work is centered around supporting entrepreneurs and business leaders who are dedicated to learning and how to impact, how to implement anti-racism within their practice and their business. And then I would love to work our way down to Main Street. You, Mm -hmm. everybody, I think has a role and responsibility to at least learn more about this. And so would love to hear more about how we can be making more of an impact with our dollars. So let's start with the business leaders. And you actually have a program that there's a there's sort of a methodology around this, and it's through the Equity Centered Coaching Collective, which you have developed. Is this new, and was this in response to maybe the last eight months? So the collective, the membership is new. We rolled it out in November, but it's based on work that we've been doing with clients for years. Um, in November, you know, we did a lot of work in the middle and end of last year in terms of like growing our internal team and capacity. So we're really excited to be able to offer this education and kind of like a membership format, like an easy, easy access, not a huge commitment uh, so that people who are at the beginning of their journey can start to take the first, take their first steps before making a bigger, you know, a bigger commitment and hiring people to do more kind of in-depth work. So the collective is a place for people to come in and start to really explore their values, start to take a look at their business models. Um, Every month we publish a new learning journey for people. And um, for example, some of the ones that we've covered are um, equity and anti-racism and understanding the difference between equity and anti-racism and how those two things work together. Um, We also explore things like leadership and trauma-informed practice and um, social impact business models. So every month we kind of like tackle a new thing and provide people learning resources and opportunities to ask questions. Um, It's just a really, we're really excited about it. For businesses that don't take these steps and they don't prioritize this, what is the risk that they run? A couple of big things come to mind right away. So I my my forecast is that people are going to really start to see an impact in their financial bottom lines. And I'm always, anytime I talk about this, I want to say that that is not 
that shouldn't necessarily be the sole motivation for people's anti-racist journeys. Um, but it is true that we are seeing more and more people, people are consumers are thinking about where they're putting their money and making sure that they're the companies that they're doing business with are in alignment with their values. So my clients all the time are sharing with us that they're getting emails from people that say, have you done any anti-racism work? What's your position on Black Lives Matter? You know, how are you prepared to hold space for diverse, you know, for diverse community? And if companies don't have answers to those questions, people are going elsewhere. And so I think we're going to see more and more people who are making you know, purchasing decisions and checking those decisions against their values and making sure that companies are in alignment. That's a big one. Another one is that diversity, focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion in your business makes a better business. Like they're just so, there's so much research that shows that when you have a diverse team, when you have a diverse community, outcomes of your programs are just better. You're more creative problem solvers. There is a richer culture, workplace culture, community, like client culture. So if you can get this right, you really improve not just the financial bottom line, but the social and the moral bottom line of your company. Do you wonder why it's taken so long for us to recognize this. I don't think the data is new. You know better than I. You've been doing this for, you know, over a decade. Because we live in such a transparent world with social media and encouraging whistleblowers and the, you know, just traditional media too, dedicating more coverage to these important issues. Do you feel like it's harder now to not follow in these practices? Whereas before maybe you could get away with it, nobody would even know. Yeah, I think before definitely people wouldn't know. It was easy to just kind of not pay attention. Um, And I also think that there was a good amount of people who just, you know, their heart was in the right place. They thought they were like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm inclusive. I don't see color. I want to welcome everyone, you know, and they thought that that was enough. And that was just, you know, that's not any one person's fault. That's because we grew up in an environment that, told us that everybody's the same and that we shouldn't see color and that we should just, everybody's like equal. And those things we now know those are not true, but that's how a lot of people were raised. And so they're just operating under that assumption. But once we know better, we do better. So now that we do know, now that, you know, we can't open our Instagram feed without seeing some kind of, you know, injustice that has happened. It's just so much more in our face Um, So we can't ignore anymore. And like I said, there's just this added pressure. I think there's an external pressure to do better. But I really do think that a lot of people's moral values are that they want, they genuinely want to do better. And so, you know, we can only behave out of alignment with our values for so long, right? Like we start to question, like, what am I actually doing? People get stuck with the how, like, how do I do better? Um, But I think that people are are really genuinely wanting to improve. Well, speaking of people, let's talk about everyday people and how they can continue to practice financial well-being, wellness, and be more socially conscious and to use your words, embrace social good. And I think maybe we can start with the same correlation you made with businesses is that there's no loss in profit, so to speak. In fact, it's only going to improve the business's bottom line when they become more inclusive and um, respectful of diversity. 
Same is true for individual bottom line, right? That you don't have to sacrifice personal financial success when you embrace social good. Can you talk a little bit about that and why people would even make that assumption? Yeah, I think it's just so... I think it's just so important that we are focused both on this personal development journey of getting clear on what we believe, getting in alignment with what we believe, and seeing how that translates to like the improvement of communities around us, right? Like that we are all connected. I think it's really important to say at this point that the, the purpose of anti-racism work and diversity, equity, and inclusion work isn't about like being better white people. It's not about like, or being a better white person. It's not about um, not just not knowing or just knowing what not to say, right? It's not about like avoiding the mistakes. It's about creating more equity in the world, creating a situation where people's life outcomes are no longer connected to their race and their zip code, which is what we have right now. We live in a world where people's race and their zip code are major indicators in in their life outcomes. So we can make really accurate predictions about the likelihood that someone is going to go to college or have business success or or have certain health, you know, experience certain health issues across a lifetime just based on their race and their zip code. Like, I want people to really take that in. And so we have to remember that when we are on a journey of anti-racism, even if we're not in business, like just for the everyday person, when we're thinking about where we spend, how we invest, um, who we who we work with, who we collaborate with, right? Who we hire into certain positions. Um, we are contributing all these small actions together can contribute to this larger social impact of changing life outcomes for people. And I, I just think that's so important for us to remember. Yeah, thank you for framing it that way. I think so so much so often we we don't see the greater impact, the bigger impact, which is uh so motivating when you put it in that context. So, we've obviously learned by now that it's important to support black-owned businesses. What else can individuals do to put their money where their values are or even not even, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a spending decision, it could be a saving decision. It could be, you know, I, I always say like one way to help uh, out uh, people who maybe didn't have the same privileges as you did growing up or even now is like providing access and information. And, yeah. you know, I'll, I have friends who African-American women friends who are rising up in their careers and they want to do some of the things that I've done. So we get on the phone and I tell them exactly how much they should be charging for certain things. Mm-hmm. I tell them exactly like who to be working for, working with. And I feel like that is, it's my job. It's my duty to do that. Regardless of who's asking, it's like when you are someone who's accomplished or older, it's all about giving back because yeah. that's, I'd like to think that's what we were all put in this planet for was to sort of keep it going, you know? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I think that we can we can think about investing in a lot of different ways, right? We can invest money, which is something that you are expert in, you talk about all the time, right? But we can also invest our time. We can invest our energy. We can invest our expertise, right? And so all of these things 
can contribute to this kind of, you know, some kind of change. You can, if you have a particular set of expertise in something, you can, you know, sit on a board of directors of a nonprofit, or you can mentor, um, you know, mentor kids at a high school or something like that. Like you can, you can use your, and that, that, that is, you know, when we, when we think about spending, it's not just like, how are we spending money? There are so many other ways that we are spending time and giving back. Um, you know, and I think that we need to, that all of it is on the table because all of it is needed. It really is. And so what diversity, equity, and inclusion looks like in 2021 and beyond? What are your thoughts on that? What are, what are, what are your hopes and dreams for what this really looks like and feels like and what the impact is? What I hope that we see more of first is that people really take this on as a personal journey. Like take, take the personal development aspect of it seriously. This is not just a set at creating, a, creating a world where our life outcomes are no longer connected to our race and zip code, for example. That's not going to change just because we have, you know, we're, we're spending only with black owned businesses or we're using a mm-hmm. black owned bank. That's not going to get us there. You know, we need to be open to the personal transformation that needs to happen. And so, what I really hope is that people start taking that seriously and start getting coaching or start getting into groups and communities where they're looking at their own bias, where they're trying to understand, you know, some of the things that they've learned, unpacking the the things that we're carrying that we don't even realize that we're carrying and start replacing those things with um, with ways of being that are more liberatory in nature that are more uh, that focus more on justice that focus more on treating people not in ways that we want to be treated but in ways that they want to be treated equity is about not about like giving people everybody the same thing it's about giving people what they need in order to get to their goals so that's what that's the first thing i hope that re- people really take seriously the personal development opportunity that they are being offered when, um, you know, when we're asking people to confront whiteness. And this isn't also just something for white people. This is for all people because there are mm-hmm. plenty of black and brown folks. You know, many of us went to schools and went, you know, learned about business from white folks. Right. And we might be right. holding on to practices that are rooted in oppressive systems and that are connected to systemic racism. And so we need to be open to looking at that and and asking ourselves if we're perpetuating those things. So, and when we start to do that, like it impacts everything. Like we might look at these things through the lens of money or business, but they start to, what we learn starts to impact the relationships that we have with our friends and with our communities and with our children. Um, and it, it's really an opportunity for transformation. So that's a big one. Um, I think something else we're going to start to see, especially on the business front, is an emphasis on the amplification of teams and of diverse teams. I know, especially in the coaching world, we have a lot of, you know, personal brands, right? Or, you know, we, we know there's a face of the, of the business and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I think that we're going to see is people really investing time in the development of diverse teams and amplifying the how much better things are because you have a diverse team and not just because you have one, you know, like the face of the company, the personal brand who is the expert and knows everything because that's just not true. Like none of us alone can know everything. And when we have an amazing 
team working with us, then we can really, you know, like together, we can really make some incredible things happening. So I think that's one of my kind of forecasts for 2021. Along those lines, by now I've spoken to a number of diversity, equity, and inclusion experts, coaches, and not surprisingly, they're all people of color. Yeah. And I've often heard at the same time that this is not a problem for people of color to fix. Right. And it's almost like an annoyance, right? Like, why do you keep asking like the black woman how she wants to solve racism um, yeah. or yeah. what she would like to see for a better place? So it's a little bit, it's a little ironic, right? So yeah, is, part of, is part of this also about making sure that those who are sharing their ideas, that we do kind of hold white people more accountable to that, to those, to these solutions, right? And and how can white people and black people work together on these solutions? Um, what, what, what's the, what's a good balance there? Yeah, I think it's really important. There, there's a couple things to remember here is one that there, no one's going to understand the impacts of racism more than the people who are directly impacted by it, right? Sure. So white folks, and this has been a big conversation, you know, white folks can't hold the same type of expertise because they can read about it and hear about it and study it. But you can't know, like in your body, what it actually feels like to be um, to be experiencing racism in the same way that a black woman would experience racism, right? There's just no amount of reading that can translate that. So. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, but, and like you're saying at the same time, racism wasn't created by black and brown folks, right? It was created by white folks. And so there is a responsibility from white folks to do the dismantling. So there is this balance that needs to be, that we need to come to, we need to find. But I do believe that it is the work of black and brown folks to be leading the conversation and to be guiding, you know, white folks in doing that, um, doing that dismantling. So it is about collaboration. And also it's about listening, like listening to the people who are talking, right. And really finding guides and mentors that you trust. What, what we saw a lot of right after George Floyd, you know, was murdered that, you know, a lot of people were bringing on, anyone they knew, not anyone, but people that they knew who were black and brown folks to come in and talk about racism. But the thing is, is that there are black accountants, there are black, you know, business owners, there are black bakers, like not every person of color wants to come and talk about their experience, you know, their experience with racism. They need to be, they want to talk about like what they're an expert at. Right. Right. So we need to be honoring that and remembering because that if, if we don't remember that we can, that's how, that's how we get to tokenizing people and to kind of right. bring people in these boxes. So we just need to remember that. And there's also just like with business and money and everything else, there's a lot of schools of thought. There are a lot of approaches to diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So I think part of it is just being engaged, staying engaged in the conversation, finding mentors and leaders who share the values that you have and like learning from them and trusting, you know, and trusting the journey that you're on. Um, mm -hmm. And and also remembering that it's imperfect work. Like it's, it's not something that we're going to like know right. how to fix and just like, Oh, I got it now. You know, it's not like a set of check the box things. It's a practice. It's something that you learn over time. Part of that practice involves, 
getting comfortable being uncomfortable, getting comfortable navigating when you make mistakes. That's all part of it. It's very delicate because I'm just thinking too, you know, talking to a girlfriend or a friend who's black and you're white and imagine it being last summer. Um, a lot of us would reach out to, naturally we want to reach out to our friends who are minorities and black friends, brown friends. And yet what is the right, what is the appropriate thing to talk about? Because on the one hand, I've read a lot about this, like you don't want to ask them like, how have you been affected by racism? Because that can be traumatic. It can be triggering. Some would per, don't mind talking about it, but but how do you even know? So what is the what is the more appropriate anti-racist approach to having like a really healthy conversation with your black friend in that context of the world, basically like the dumpster fire world that we were yep. living in last summer? Is it is it instead to just proceed as normal? Like, I don't know. I guess this is where I'm also struggling. I would love to learn more from you about what is the appropriate way to manage relationships where, you know, you want to be sensitive to their experience. Yeah. My advice to people is always let the, the, so the people who are most affected, let them lead, right? So that doesn't mean that you wait for them to tell you they want to talk about it. You can tell someone, and this is part of being in a relationship, right? With Mm -hmm. your friend, it could be your, your partner, your husband or wife, like whoever it is, is navigating these uncomfortable conversations. So you can say to someone, Hey, you know, I saw uh, I'm I'm watching everything that's happening on the news. I just want to let you know that I'm here if you want to talk about it. You know, and then it's like balls in their court. They don't have to reply to that text message and you have to be okay with that. And they might want to, you know, engage in a conversation and then you have to be there for that, right? But you're opening the door. You're letting people know that you're available for that conversation. And then you're allowing them the space to walk through it or not. And I think that is, especially if you're not in, it's funny because me and my friend groups, we talk about this stuff all the time. So it's just like so normal Mm -hmm. for us. But if you're not in a, in that kind of relationship with people, you don't Mm want to, you also don't want to not mention anything because then it can, the perception is that you're not even paying attention And you're not even thinking about it. So you want to let people know that you care, that you see what's happening, that you're there for them. And then you you can like leave it to them to decide if they want to, you know, pursue that conversation. Right. If you had to give consultation or if you were, um, let's say, in the Biden administration right now doing a a day-long seminar, what would you like for them to recognize? Are there policies off the bat that you think we should eradicate or change? Um, there's probably so many yeah. like things, but what's, um, what's first on the to-do list for well, you? Yeah. So what's amazing, and I'm feeling really great about this, is that the thing that's first on my to-do list has already been taken care of yesterday. So when Biden uh, signed his first set of executive orders, 
One of those was to undo the um, 1776 commission, which was something that the former administration put together to kind of um, undo some of the history, some of the reporting that the New York Times had done around the history of slavery in the United States. Um, So that is gone. That commission is no more, which is amazing. And the other thing that he did that Biden has done is to rescind the mandate that federal agencies and anyone connected to federal agencies or federal funding can no longer um, we're, we're no longer able to participate in any kind of diversity education. So uh, in September, again, the former administration signed a mandate that said that, you know, anything that taught um, anything about white privilege or critical race theory or anything around like unconscious bias was basically illegal, like that could no longer happen and that people were going to lose their federal funding and there were going to be all these consequences. So that is that would have been my first (laughs) my first thing. And I'm just so happy that they prioritize that. I think that sends a big message. Um, And then the next thing is to really look at um, and and I really hope that they're going to start looking at reparations and looking at, you know, investing in communities that have been historically um, historically oppressed and marginalized and thinking about how they're going to create, create equity in, in education and in opportunity for, you know, for people to start having some economic for start some economic justice. Right. Play a lot of catch up. Right. So much. Yeah. Trudy LeBron, thank you so much. I learned a ton in this half hour. Truly your work is so invaluable. We appreciate you and Wishing all of us more success in many ways in 2021. (laughs) Knowing people like you are out there, I'm much more confident. Well, thank you so much for having me. I it was really a, a blast. To learn more about Trudy, visit her website, Trudy LeBron. That that's T R U D I. L-E-B-R-O-N, TrudyLebron.com, where you can learn about her programs, her podcast, and tons more. Coming up this Wednesday, how to invest in real estate coming from the perspective of Fee Gentry, who specialize in working with people and families of color. That's on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.